fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Haydner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Final The fantasy fullback dive is thrilled to welcome back now for the fifth time the king of the chopper prediction, Roto World's own Ian Harditz. You can find him at iHarditz on Twitter. Ian, how's everything going, brother? Going good, man. Great to be back. Been a while since we talked, but free agency's done, draft's done. We are officially just... 2020 preseason, man. I love it. This is one of the best times of the year. It is the absolute best. And you're, you're already hinting at why we're having you on is all the major dominoes have kind of fallen at this point. We still have a couple running backs who are going to ruin things for Miles Sanders or whoever it might end up being at some point. Not ruin, but we know they're going to be annoying. <laughs> uh, but still, for the most part, the offseason has wrapped up. And we always talk about it here at Roto Street Journal that it's a, it's a stock market and the values are always up and down. And finally, we have this Span of time, right, where it's kind of settled for for once, and we can really dig in. And I feel like you know, Roto World and you are just kind of the best type of people to have on because I'll say it right now, nobody covers the game quite like Roto World. Those blurbs, I mean, for news, is just it's addicting. I've literally been addicted since my freshman <laughs> year of high school, like playing fantasy football for the first time ever. I have to check it every hour, whether it's, you know, the heart of February or the, the heart of training camp. I can't stop it. So you guys are the best. You really capture that kind of stock market feel of ups and downs. And obviously so much more than just the, the news there. You guys crush the draft guides. Your feature article is amazing. We're, we're going to hear about more, like what our viewers can find uh, from you and everybody else at Roto World. But, I mean, think about the, the names we've had coming through there. Rosenthal, Wellsling, Silva, Levitin, and so some big shoes to fill. And I think you and, and that whole crew over there, Norris, Roto, Pat, Daigle, like Winks, you guys are just crushing it, and you're a huge engine of that. So, man, we really appreciate you coming on today. Yeah, man, appreciate that. But, you know, you guys uh, you guys over on the, on the street, you guys got the same business down because it's not about hating, loving players. It's their value and how their value, you know, makes them proceed. You can love a player, but if he's, you know, being drafted at the single, like, highest high of his value he's probably not someone you should be targeting in draft so you know we hate adps we don't hate players exactly well said um and, and my man just kind of I, I know you've been at a few great organizations before getting the world of world so before we dig into the players today we're going to focus on and we're thrilled because you, you know ian's agreed to come on for the next three shows to do these kind of stock market recaps who's risen who's fallen today focusing mostly on quarterbacks which is usually a stable position in the offseason but this year there's been more movement than ever before there's been tons of talent injections all over the place so we're going to do a whole show on quarterbacks then a pass catchers and a running back show next week too so thrilled to have you for all three of those and like i said roto world the best place to cover and, and all that news how did you get to roto world though what's kind of been your path there and what's kind of your roto you, you know your current role there and the featured columns our listeners can kind of look forward to yeah i started uh really trying to write about football and just get in the industry when i was 19 just you know i, I played uh some college balls d3 linebacker i wasn't going pros but you know w w once that whole thing was done uh, i just 
had a bunch of extra spare time and I, I all of a sudden, you know, wanted to fill it with football because I've always loved the sport. So pretty much reached out to every writer I could find. And at that point, I didn't have any writing samples. You need to have those for these jobs, unfortunately. But what I could do was I knew how to research pretty well. So I just offered services, research for free, let them write articles based on it. Luckily, Action Network, Fancy Labs, co-founder Jonathan Bales took me up on that, ended up doing some free stuff for him for about a year. And then he ended up taking me under his ring, uh, under his wing, you know, six years of just kind of grinding with him, Fancy Labs, Action Network, got the Roto World job offer last August. So it's been great, man. It's just literally all things NFL. You know, I try to do a piece of content almost every single day, whether it's, you know, a Roto World podcast, just I'm going through player profiles right now during the whole off season, during the season, we got, you know, articles coming out all throughout the week. So it's just every day, man. I feel like it's that grind that you got to kind of have in anything you're doing, but especially now because, uh, look, 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 there are people on this planet that will just always know more football than you or me. So it's one of those things that we can just always learn something from day to day. Even if it's, you know, a slow news day, there's still 32 teams out there with revolving position groups with new coaches. There's always something else out there to analyze. And I'm trying to analyze every single last bit we can. Absolutely. And and that's kind of leads perfectly in this next question is there's so much out there. And there's so much to learn. So why you, Ian? Why should our listeners kind of consider you a wolf? And that's, you know, we bring on the people. I could rave about you all day, and I could tell you our listeners why you're a wolf. But in your own kind of viewpoints, what kind of separates you from this industry and makes you a wolf in your own eyes? Yeah, so I think when I was first getting started, it was tough to, because, uh, you know, I, I didn't have a journalism degree in college. I mean, I was a consultant my first year out of school. So this was always a hobby, and once I kind of got the chance to go in, uh, full time, you know, I was happy to take it, but it was also one of those things where, you know, I've been reading the Evan Silva's, the Adam Levitans for all these years, and all of a sudden, you know, you're more or less competing against these guys. I, mean, I think of everything like a competition. So, my mind, once I'm a full time writer, you know, I'm trying to take these guys down. You know, your idols become, <laughs> idols become rivals and all that. But obviously, these people that have been in the industry for so long and they're still doing great work themselves, you know, you got to respect their opinions. But I was really struggling with knowing how much to trust their opinions and how much to trust myself because as someone that used to just read every football article I can get my hands on, there was a whole lot of information always going through my mind. Every time I think something, it's like, well, that guy said this and this guy said that. I just learned that in terms of getting better and learning more about the league, I I've learned to cut off almost any other outside influence. And to do that, I got to know I'm looking at every single uh, you know, kind of like hard variable that I can. So, you know, every snap count, every single Monday, I'm looking at that. I rewatch every single game between, you know, Sunday night and usually Monday night after that game's over, Tuesday morning at the latest, you know, go through every single piece of news of Roto World. So every practice report, everything, you know, a coach says about playing time and stuff like that, pretty much, excuse me, pretty much try to give myself every single bit of access that, you know, I need. And then from there, for my own opinions, my opinions are obviously going to be going to be wrong. We're all going to be wrong a lot of times. But I just found, you know, when I am wrong on a guy, I can go through that process and say, OK, well, I was wrong because I should have, you know, decided like with O.J. Howard last year. We didn't put enough value on one Bruce Aaron's history with tight ends and two, just the fact it's hard to enable three high end guys in that offense. OK, I'm using those lessons moving forward. If my reason for O.J. Howard had been half that and half because three of my favorite analysts really liked him, I like that harder lesson to learn. So trust yourself. Trust yourself. You really got to work your ass off. <laughs> absolutely, man. No, it's it's leaving that no stone, you know, unturned type of approach. Yeah. I absolutely love it. I totally sympathize with it. I'm the same way. I'm a, you know, a maniac in terms of my research. 
with all that said, like, is there any specific stat, tool, resource, like, that you consider just, because there is so much noise now out there, like, is there anything that you truly are like, this is my edge gainer, I, I know, you know, this is my go-to resource no matter what? Just from doing it for so long, I, I can, you know, any stat between next-gen stats, pro football reference, pro football focus, you know, NFL.com, I just kind of know how to get all, all these stats. And if you just can learn some basic Excel functions, you know, I see everyone out there these days coding, using R, that's great. You know, it can help turn over some even deeper stones that I probably don't even know about. But I just know, like, from my personal experience, if you can just use, you know, what's on pro football reference, if you can use that, basic Microsoft Excel functions like VLOOKUP, pivot tables, you know, not, not, not even macros, just things that can help you kind of quickly organize a couple years of data. You know, you don't have to work too hard on it, but if you can do that. You can answer almost any question I think that you can come up with to a reasonable degree. So I'd say that pro football reference, just Excel for research. And then, you know, if you're into videos, cause I do produce a lot of uh, just minute long kind of highlight cutups that I'll post throughout the off season. People usually ask me where those come from. And I use this program I was consulting called Snagit. Uh, it costs like 50 bucks a year, but you can pretty much just draw a window on your screen. It records what's there. So, you know, I'll go through, you know, 10 or 12 highlights I want. It'll be a 10-minute video. Obviously, there's a bunch of annoying stuff, me going screen to screen. But then it makes it real easy to cut that up, decipher into a video. So, Pro Football Reference, Microsoft Excel, Snagit, Game Pass. That's the Love core it. four. Love it. And the last question before we get into our players here, uh, to just kind of paint or this, round out this this overview of fantasy football uh, if you were going to create a formula that kind of measures fantasy success, whether it's talent, whether it's usage, surrounding, ta- you know, there's all these different factors, right, that go into it. Like, what would you say are kind of those most important overall factors? And is there anything that's kind of irrelevant and noise, in your opinion? I think it's usage is the one you got to follow all the time. You know what? That's going to cause you to miss on guys like A.J. Brown last year, maybe Stefan Diggs. I mean, look, sometimes great players can overcome pedestrian usage, but that's the thing because it's not even about what we necessarily think about a player's talent. It's what the coaches and what the teams think about that player's talent. They're the one putting them on the field. They're the one yeah. drawing up plays. They're the ones choosing to throw them the ball. So that's why I think, uh, you know, there's a whole lot of smart people on NFL draft Twitter, but we just, as a community, these people and, you know, all of us, you know, I'm sure both of us are guilty of it too, but we get attached to these prospects because we're, we're watching from February to April. We rank someone as our RB five. And then they go to just an awful situation where we probably have them as an RB12 if we just base it on post-draft. But because we already set this precedent, that doesn't have too much to do with their NFL projection. You know, we're off base. So really comes down to volume. You know, again, chase opportunity, not talent, because even the best in the world, like the GMs, the best talent scouts in the world. Bill Belichick, like when's the last time he had a good draft? I know, I know he's your guy, but like the, the fact that <laughs> – even the best can't evaluate talent at a high level. Like, don't try to be that guy pretty much. Absolutely. Uh, usage is the, the, the lifeblood, the, the engine of everything. The one debate I often find myself getting into is the, the value of, like, coaching and scheme. And you just kind of hinted at O.J. Howard as a prime example. Like, Arians has never used tight ends, and it seemed to be, you know, a correlation trap. It seemed like, oh, he's never had a tight end quite like O.J. Howard. But potentially that is schematic. I feel like it's it's a kind of polarizing area where some people like coaching scheme doesn't matter. Don't pay any attention to it. I, I personally disagree. Do you put any stock in a coaching scheme yourself? It's just a question I like to ask all the, the people I have on here. Absolutely. Because I think the yeah. scheme a lot of times takes you to the projected opportunity. I mean, I was looking at Adam yeah. Thielen a lot this week. And, you know, Gary Kubiak, who's now taken over full-time Minnesota, 
okay, last year Diggs led the team with, I think it was 94 targets. And we're just looking at Minnesota's this run-first offense. Okay, Thielen's the only wide receiver one, but they're so run-first. Man, I went back and looked at Kubiak since the 90s. He's been mm-hmm. like the Broncos, Texans, Broncos again. His wide receiver one has averaged 138 targets per <laughs> season. So if you only look back at 2019, you're going to say, okay, well, Dalvin Cook, but no one else. You know, this is still a Kubiak coached offense. He's just because last season he didn't have an amazing wide receiver. Well, you know, 19 of the previous 23 seasons, he was pretty close. So I like to, you know, take my uh, size with that. Because if we can get a talented player with more opportunity and he's somehow undervalued, I mean, that's, you know, check, check, check. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember those years, the Rod Smith, the, the Andre Johnsons. He had, yes, <laughs> he had some monsters. I, I'm with you. I think the, we'll get to pass catchers in another episode, but I'm all about him. I, I think he's so oh. undervalued. Uh, but now let's dive into the players, the actual 2020 fantasy stuff here. And as we said, you know, everything's kind of settled. There's a few ripples left to hit Carlos Hyde, Freeman, Miller, Newton, a few players still out there. But for the most part, we're, we're pretty set here. And so let's dive into the quarterbacks, who's risen, who's fallen, all that good stuff. So before we get into the specific names, because there has been so much, and again, that's why we had to break it into three shows here. At quarterback, it's usually like one or two. I've got, I think, nine or ten names listed here that I want to discuss with you. But out of all of them, who do you consider the single biggest QB riser of this offseason? I'm going a little bit off the grid here. I got Gardner Minshew because, look, <laughs> Nick Foles, gone, traded Got, we got votes of confidence from the front office. Well, you know what? Tyrod Taylor got votes of confidence from the front office this offseason, too. Mm-hmm. They drafted Herbert with a sixth overall pick. Jacksonville didn't draft a quarterback until the sixth round. I understand that's where Minshew went last year, but he is their guy. He's getting every chance to succeed this year. And a year that I think they're pretty much trying to tank by still playing hard. I mean, that's the way you do it. Mm-hmm. You can't just line up and ask your players to lose football games and expect to you know, be a professional franchise. So right. they're trying to tank. With that said, Defense sucks. We have some weapons. I mean, DJ Chark looks a lot like the next uh, great wide receiver, you know, coming out of the AFC South. I think D.D. Westbrook can do some things. We drafted uh, uh, LaBisca Chanel, who a lot, of pe- a lot of people are high on. We got Chris Thompson there now. So mm-hmm. ideally, Leonard Fournette, the second least efficient <laughs> high-volume receiver in the league, isn't going to be eating all these checkdowns. I mean, look, Minshew was the QB 12 in weeks one through nine last year before Foles, you know, took his job back. Now, you know, if you want to go points per game because it's bi-week series at QB 15, that's fine. He's going, like, in best ball drafts as, like, the QB 25 or later. I mean, there's not, like, a there's not a Kyler Murray or a Lamar Jackson that just sticks out like a sore thumb this year in terms of just double-digit round QBs you can grab. But if there's anyone out there that can give you that upside for just free, it's Gardner Minshew right now. And don't look now, but his rushing floor, it's, it's not going to be Lamar. It's not going to be Kyler. But right. last year, the only starters with more rushing yards per game than Gardner were Lamar. Kyler, Josh Allen, Deshaun Watson. So underrated floor with a ceiling that I think is okay enough because he's good and also just a bad defense. Again, if the guy's not costing you anything, every single uh, thing has gone uh, Minshew's favor so far, so far this offseason. Absolutely. And, and they bring in Jay Gruden too. I mean, Andy Dalton mm-hmm. was the QB3 because this offense is so pass happy. We've seen Kirk Cousins rifle close to 5,000 yards in this offense, QB5, QB6, QB8 over his years with Gruden. So, I mean, the system's there. You said the rushing upside, the Konami code gets some weapons yeah. injections. I, I did not even have him on my list, but man, that's a that's an intriguing one to chuck out there. I love that one. Uh, in terms of like the... 
the names that you always hear. I mean, the, let's start at the top here. That's that's Dak Prescott, right? Just because C.D. Lamb's injected, it's a pretty huge talent, uh, you know, up boost there going from Randall Cobb to C.D. Lamb. Are you on the train? You know, and now you also add Mike McCarthy. So I don't want to forget the fact that this guy's as past happy as they come too. Are you in like the locked in number three? There's no one after Lamar and and uh, uh, Mahomes. Sorry, Dak's your number three guy, or what do you think of him? Yeah, absolutely, man. Because look, Lamar, the rushing floor is just too high. He's got to be your one. Mahomes, we all know. He, we all know him. Number two, Dak's got to be your three. And last year, he actually showed because his first three years in the league, he went for you know three hundred rushing yards, six touchdowns every single year on the ground. Last year, I fell to three, which you know the way they use him on the goal line, we could expect that to go up. It didn't matter because he was such a good passer all of a sudden in this offense. That look, I mean, the Ravens took over the NFL last year, but the Cowboys, one of eleven teams ever. Last year, the 2019 Cowboys averaged at least six and a half yards per play on offense, and they look better on paper now. We got CeeDee Lamb yeah. coming in for Cobb, Blake Jarwin coming in for Witten. Losing Travis Frederick sucks. I mean, there's no way around that. With that said, they got Joe Looney in there, started 16 games for them in 2018. You know, their third-round pick last year, they, they have him primed to be a center. Like, they've at least dressed this hole. It's not – they've addressed the hole. It's not like just a completely gaping yeah. uh, issue. So I think the offensive line, even if they go from amazing to great – not going to derail this offense. Yeah, man. I mean, I'm looking at Kyler, Sean Watson, Russell Wilson, Josh Allen, like the other dual threats that are kind of towards the top of these QB1 rankings. I just think the Cowboys, among those teams, we can be the most confident are going to have a high-end offense. So give me Dak. Absolutely. I, I think that's an intriguing thing that people overlook is Dak does got some, you know, rushing upside here that we've never had that perfect storm of the passing and the rushing meeting quite yet. So as a number two quarterback last year, without any of that rushing, if we just get to, you know, 500, 600 yards in those six TDs that you mentioned, my God, like uh, on top of this, this book, aerial bonanza that we're about to unload in Dallas, I mean, I don't see them coming off the field all too often without points on the board, especially if CeeDee Lamb's as good as I think he is uh, as the Randall caught. I mean, after the catch, this, it's going to be insane. I think that's going to be a points factory. I don't know what the current odds are. I don't know how much you know preseason betting you do, but I remember I threw down a pretty hefty bet on Dak being the MVP this year just because the odds were like, I think it was like 10 to 1 or something. It's definitely gone down, but it's, I mean, a juicy bet right now because he really could throw 40, 50 touchdowns and, and rush for a bunch more too. I don't laugh, but my favorite long shot MVP right now is Matthew Stafford plus sixty six hundred. Oh my god, I love that! I think I was lighting it up though last year. I mean, it was him, Lamar, or Russ after eight weeks. Obviously, you know, thirty plus years old, coming off a back injury isn't ideal, but that's why the odds are pretty high. That's that's a good one. I like that one a lot. Wow, I got, I love that, and you know, it gives some more talent there too. Oh, interesting, yep. interesting bet. Yeah. I gotta I gotta dig a little more at these stats. I love that one. <laughs> Uh, you, you mentioned, too, another guy that some people are putting up there in that top three conversations, Kyler Murray. I mean, kind of the shoe-in pick for a lot of people to be this next Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, especially because DeAndre Hopkins has been added. Do you see that happening? What do you think of Kyler Murray in year two here? I, I have him as my QB4, and you know I have compared the 2020 Cardinals to the 2019 Browns. I do think we're going to see a similar win-loss equation. I don't think the Cardinals are going to – you know, finish with an over 500 record, tough division and just the defensive offensive line holes, I think are still there. But in terms of Baker versus Kyler, I just think Kyler, you know, that rushing floor is just something Baker doesn't even come close to have, have doesn't come close to having, you know, we said it, Konami code, all that. Kyler averaged 34 rushing yards per game last year. That's the sixth highest mark ever 
among QBs that start at least 16 games. I mean, I, it's I think maybe because of Lamar Jackson, just how crazy good he is. Like we're almost taking these other rushing quarterbacks granted for like the historical numbers they're putting up right now. But Kyler's right there in terms of the greatest rushing threats we've seen from the position. A lot of his passing numbers last year were below average, but I think we can probably chalk that up to Kingsbury learning the office, to him not having very many weapons, to him not having a great offensive line. Some of the throws he made were just absolutely ridiculous. All the number one, yeah, you see why he took him number one overall. Talents there. I'm not buying the 2020 Cardinals, but I'm buying 2020 Kyler Murray. Absolutely. I think year two, too, that just continuity. Cliff Kingsbury's already talked a lot about it, even referencing Mahomes and Lamar in, in the same breath, saying that's what they think is going to happen with Kyler, just having that first leap into the NFL. You get your taste of action, and now it all kind of slows down for you. I, I was expecting this offense to just light up scoreboards all year and be that next you know, huge thing. And might have been a year early, both for Kingsbury his first year in the NFL, Kyler as well, but maybe year two, they both have that comfort level. I, I mean, in addition to everything you just cited about Kyler as well, I, I love it. I, I, he's my QB4 right after Dak as well. Um, and, and obviously the addition of Hopkins. I mean, there's there's some stats. I don't have them written down right exactly here, but in terms of the, the you know, Hopkins is pretty underrated as a vertical threat, and they had no vertical threat. I think it's something that, you know, over the last three years, only Tyree Kill has more deep yardage than DeAndre Hopkins. And, and so this guy can scratch the defense. They had nobody that could really do that last year. I love Kirk and Fitzgerald in terms of working the underneath and, and as number twos, but they were definitely lacking that guy on a broken play. You can just chuck it up to. So, I mean, this whole offense just got a key cog that can just, you know, beyond just the second year step for Kyler, having that one guy truly could be a linchpin for some huge stats. So I'm all about it too. I go Dak, then I go Kyler. Uh, a guy that I have higher than most, and maybe that's just the homerism in me, and he's not even here anymore. That's Tampa Bay, Tom Brady. Uh, I think he might be, if I was going to pick my single biggest riser, because if he was in New England, I, I haven't drafted the guy, I don't even know, since those years with Randy. It hasn't been any type of really, truly juicy fantasy production. But now you go to Tampa Bay, and I mean, you don't need me to spell out those talent injections, but I like to do it anyways. Mike Evans, Chris <laughs> Godwin, they add Keyshawn Vaughn, an explosive rookie. They beef up the offensive line. Gronk comes out of retirement to join him. I mean, that is just a playground of weapons in an offensive scheme that let Jameis Winston go 5K and 30 touchdowns. Do you think Tom Brady has a similar style season? What do you think of this this fit over here? I feel like we're crowning these Buccaneers as a whole <laughs> way too early, man. I mean, I know Jameis enabled Godwin and Evans to all these great heights last year, but I mean, it took a league high 626 passes to do so. I mean, I just don't think, you know, a, a quote today is that, you know, the Bucs are going to be using, <coughs> excuse me, Bruce's offense with, you know, Brady style elements in there. Mm -hmm. We'll see, man. Like, I don't think Brady's watched. We watched those Patriots games last year. I mean, it wasn't like the dude was just constantly missing open receivers. There was a big issue with lack of separation, especially second half of the year when dudes were all banged up. Offensive line wasn't as good as usual. Run game wasn't all that great. I'm just not concerned all of those issues are going to be fixed in Tampa Bay. Mm -hmm. is, is the offensive line going to be great? We don't really know. Is the run game that was pretty much non-existent last year going to be anything? We don't really know. There's not much competition for Vaughn. And we're talking up Ron, Ron Jones for some reason. Like, we all hated this guy for years. And now we're expecting him to come back after he couldn't, even couldn't beat out Peyton Barber. So, look, Goblin, Evans, I don't even think Gronk's washed. But we just have a whole lot of questions here. And currently, like, both Goblin and Evans are going to be wide receiver, fancy wide receiver ones. And everyone's, you know, preseason rankings. 
I don't think both of them are going to finish as wide receiver ones. I think that's asking a lot. Last year was special, but it's just they're both going at the highest range of the outcomes right now. Brady was the QB 14 and QB 12 last two seasons. That's not bad. If he was going in that range again, I might be down to take a chance on him. But he's going like top eight, top nine already. So there's no rushing floor. I don't even complain about people that want to rank him top 10 because I see it. But with Brady and Breeze, I just feel like they're already kind of being valued near their peak. And, you know, come on, let's not let's not bet on the 40 something year old quarterback that cannot (laughs) run at this point in their career. Go down, give me Baker, give me Stafford, give me Daniel Jones. I just think there's a there's a lot of late round options where I'm pretty much drawing a line. I think after Josh Allen at that like QB seven range, and you know, again, I don't blame people for having Brady and Breeze like eight or nine, but I'm just gonna be drafting later. It's all fair points. I just I'm such a believer. Obviously, I'm I'm so biased because I've seen Tom do it. I just think he had no one to throw to. I think he can still uncork it. He was 10th in uh, the deep passer rating by Pro Football Focus last year. So he still, when he was able to get you know his receivers downfield, he was still hitting them at a pretty decent clip. I, I just love this offense. It's so pass-happy. I get that it took Jameis that many attempts, but you kind of suggested the running game struggles. Who says Brady doesn't chuck it 600 times? I know he's 40 and not as, as young in spring. But Arians' offense, other than one year over these last like 15, has been top three in air yards. I just think with these weapons, there is that. I, I get what you're saying. Like We know him. He's 40. He's had no rushing floor. But what if he just pulls that magical like 50-touchdown season out of his ass like oh we saw? I, it's not impossible. I don't think it happens, but obviously. You just said but. 50? I mean, that's what he did. That's what he did with Randy Moss and, and Welker. I know he's not going to hit 50, but... 15 you know, years ago. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true. But, I mean, if he if he threw 4,840 or so by the end of the year, I wouldn't be shocked right, because right. of the scheme. I mean, Carson Palmer put up similar stats in this offense. Not obviously quite as old as Brady, but this is the GOAT in a great scheme with probably the best weapons cabinet aerial-wise in the league, so I, I'm probably just being a Brady lover because he's just my guy. But <laughs> I, to me, he's the single. He goes from a guy I wouldn't have even t- thought about drafting to now inside that tier of those guys you mentioned, the Josh Allen's, the upside guys, um, and totally understand if you want a Konami code instead of Brady. But I don't know. I might I might saddle my guy up one last time this year. We'll see. <laughs> I, we're talking well, about the Konami code though. Josh Allen himself. He's the next guy I have on this list. Uh, and again, we're going through all the guys I, I consider big risers this offseason, That stock market feel. Uh, I mean, how can you not be an upgrade when you get a guy like Stephon Diggs to the Konami code you already had? What do you think of Josh Allen and this addition? What it does to him? Diggs was so freaking good last year. Just, I mean, his his total numbers weren't insane because, again, he only had like 94 targets, but literally became one of eight wide receivers since 2010 to average over 12 yards per target, like with a minimum 50 targets. So just absolutely bonkers per target production from Diggs. But now he enters this offense where it's – I mean, Josh Allen is a worse throwing QB than Kirk Cousins in every single way imaginable. And I say this as a – He's Josh Allen fan. I love watching that guy play football. He's lateraling a midfield with two under two minutes to go in a playoff game, throwing double covered shot plays 40 yards downfield to his fullback. Anything can happen when Josh Allen's on the field. But like this guy was one of the league's five worst deep ball quarterbacks last year, but he threw deep balls like the sixth highest rate. I mean, it's like Russell Westbrook just refusing to stop shooting threes, even though he can't make any of them to save his life. It's fun to watch. I think it helps in a way, like open things up for the teammates and open things up for the run game. When you got Josh Allen, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. He might chuck the ball 80 yards downfield. He might try to take off up the middle, but 
I don't think it's going to elevate Andy's wide receivers. And that's like Diggs. I think, you know, if you want to rank him in the low 20s, I think you're being a little bit optimistic. I think that's probably about his ceiling. But with Josh Allen, great, because he improved across the board, mm-hmm. you know, from very bad to just pretty bad after they gave him John Brown, Cole Beasley. I don't think he's going to go to great next year, but adding someone like Diggs could take him from pretty bad to average as a passer. And this is all just, you know, as a passer, because as a rusher, we already know he's there. Only guys with more rushing touchdowns since he entered the league are just high-volume running backs. Gurley, Henry, Jones, McCaffrey, Kamara, Zeke, and Melvin Gordon. That's it. 17 scores on the ground over two seasons. He is <laughs> truly a vulture on the goal line, unlike anyone else we ever see. We talk about goal line backs. Josh Allen is the Bills' goal line back. That's why he's so valuable. And, yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I got, uh, you know, top top six guys, Russell. Josh Allen is my number seven QB. And again, after that is when I'm taking a break on, you know, looking anywhere near earlier mid-round quarterbacks. I, I think that's a great point, too, is there is definitely that tier drop-off that if you don't get an Allen inside that tier, like, why even bother? Because some of these guys yeah. we're going to talk about have been upgraded this offseason. There's still some huge upside late, so you either get that really big, like, potential season-changing upside, which Allen does have, as you said, if he if he does improve as a passer because of this addition of digs. I mean, I love what this, you know, 11 personnel sets are going to look like when you got Beasley in the slot, you got Diggs, and uh, you can move them all, all over the place anyways, but Diggs and John Brown on the other side, that John Brown's getting secondary coverage. Like, this this Ooh. could be an insane offense if Allen does take that step. You just think of those guys that you're like, holy shit, like, this is just a next level. It could happen, and Diggs led the league in deep yardage last year. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, Cousins definitely a better, more accurate passer, but, I mean, Diggs himself is just such a great separator and great ball tracker that Allen has to improve. So I'm fully with you. Like, I don't love the move for Diggs's value himself. But for Josh Allen, I mean, this now raises that ceiling to potentially elite league, you know, league winning type of levels. So I, I love the move for him personally. I think this offense could light up scoreboards if, uh, if they do it the right way. So that, that does get us now, though, to the, as you were mentioning, some of these QBs that if you don't get Allen, let's kind of wait. The one other guy that I could see, the more I'm writing about him, I just started writing about him today, that joins that kind of elite tier is Carson Wentz. I mean, you think speed, 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 more speed. That's all they added all offseason. They had nothing last year. And now he gets the, this completely revamped wide receiver core after still finishing as the QB9 last year with pretty much garbage at the position. Obviously, some nice tight ends and a great Miles Sanders in the backfield. Those guys still exist. And then you get some nice wide receivers around him to stretch the field. I think that offense could also completely take off to, you know, it's already been solid under Peterson, but we might see levels we haven't. What's your feelings on Carson Wentz next year? I'm higher on him than the consensus rank. I mean, he's my QB8 right now. I just think, again, you got those Konami code dudes in the top seven spots, but I'll take Wentz over guys like Breeze, Ryan, Brady, and Stafford just because the upside here is huge. We've seen the upside. It's 2017 legit Mm -hmm. league MVP caliber player. And, I mean, if you look at 2017, why was Wentz so good? One reason was because they actually had consistent field stretchers. Torrey Smith and rookie year Matt Collins. No, these guys weren't amazing players. They didn't have big years, but they were good enough to threaten downfield, and they continued mm-hmm. to be vital cogs up through the Super Bowl. So 2018, they lose Torrey. They try to replace him with Mike Wallace, who is hurt before the season even starts. Hollins gets hurt. Last season, they tried to bring in Deshaun Jackson. We saw what one game looked like, and then he gets hurt. Right. Hollins, you know, at this point, isn't doing anything. 
So we just have not seen once with field stretchers since 2017, and that was when he was playing at this great level. So now not only do we have D-Jax back, Marquise Goodwin, Jalen Rieger, they drafted more just late-round wide receivers that I don't think are going to produce anything, but they all can just fly. So shouldn't have that end of the 2019 season mm-hmm. like, we need to feed Joshua Perkins and Boston Scott purgatory type stuff ever again. I mean, look, these guys aren't terrible players, but they should not be guys you're relying on as top tar- targets and during a playoff stretch. So I think with Wentz, like at the negatives about Wentz, when you ask people, they go, oh, he's just going to get hurt. Like, what? he'll be a QB one for eight weeks. If the worst thing you can say about a player is that you think he's injury prone, just, just be careful because I think we overuse that term a lot. And I just went specifically. He's gotten hurt from an, like an ATV accident. He got a cheap shot on a slide, and then he, like, against the Rams, you know, kind of awkwardly tried to go over a linebacker and tore his ACL. So just kind of unfortunate. I don't think it's anything that we just need to worry about year to year, like a Jordan Reed or something like that at this point. So once, yeah, sign me up, man. Absolutely, yeah. It's good to hear you're higher on him, too, because I always love your, your rankings. All about, too, when you have speed and you also have the offensive line that's going to let that speed actually matter. I, you said Torrey Smith and Mac Hollins. Like, if Rieger hits the ceiling, if he's, like, as good as everybody thinks he could be. We, you mentioned Deshaun Jackson, that one game for week one. That was Carson Wentz's highest scoring output, 28 and a half. And he, he was never, you know, really that great again. He was kind of – I just find it shocking, though, that Wentz was in 62% of the games, a top 12 quarterback, never really hit above six or five. I think five was the ultimate highest weekly finish he had. But he was still balling out for the majority of the year with, as you mentioned, complete Greg Ward. I think a converted <laughs> QB was his top target for the last like, quarter or so of the season. If some of these speed guys, you know, Goodwin we've seen light it up a couple, just a few seasons ago, you just need – one or two of them to hit and if one of them goes down at least you have some backup in depth here finally too we already know how you know Ertz and Goddard and Sanders and Jeffrey could work the underneath I this could be one of those offenses again we talked about the Cowboys never coming off the field you know the Chiefs are never coming off the field I think Wentz is that talented that this could end up being one of those offenses that's just points after points after points 2017 QB2 in points per game if it if it's gonna happen, it could definitely. This is the the lineup. This is the the setting for it. I love it. For sure. After him, that's where it's kind of to me like Wentz is my cutoff. I kind of keep him with that Josh Allen group, and then it's just you know taking flyers on QB twos. But there are a bunch of them that have risen a ton this off season, and maybe none more so than Drew Locke. I don't know if you like this guy, but certainly has some serious weaponry to work with now. What are your thoughts on Drew Locke in year two? Uh, I want Drew Locke to be good, like maybe more than any quarterback in the league. <laughs> it would be so much fun. You know, I love the Jeezy rapping, all that. Like everything about Drew Locke's trade, his style play. Like, you know, yeah, I get the longest time between getting the snap and getting sacked for pro football focus up there with like Lamar and Kyler. Like he's, he's, not, he's not a runner like them, but he's athletic and he can really create off script. I mean, you know, one minute highlights of him, a lot of fun. Now, you know, you look at that four and one stretch he had at the end of the season tore up Houston. Who doesn't? Everything else was kind of iffy. <laughs> I don't think we're going to see like a really big, fancy, relevant year this year from Drew Locke. I have him kind of outside the top 20. I'm not going to prioritize mm. him in drafts or anything like that. But the Broncos as a team, I'm really excited about because not only do they add all those talented guys on offense, but this is a defense that after the first month and they kind of had to learn Vic Fangio's scheme. After that, they were a top 10 unit pretty much the rest of the season. Getting back Bryce Callahan, who didn't play a snap and was Fangio's old slot corner in Chicago. 
Bradley Chubb with 12 sacks as a rookie. And I mean, not, doesn't have to face uh, double teams with Von Miller on the other side. So just a completely overwhelmingly dangerous defense. I don't think Drew Locke needs to be more than okay for the Broncos to make some noise in the wild card race this year. Now, I just don't think he has showed enough and probably what's going to be more of a run first offense to get much uh, fancy love, though. Uh, the one thing that could potentially help that is Pat Shermer coming in has been pretty historically uh, pass happy. I forget the exact outputs, but I know Daniel Jones was like one of only, I mean, might have been the only other guy was Lamar Jackson to have like three 30 point games or something of that nature yeah. because the scheme can be so pass happy. And in that division, I see a lot of track meets shaping up. Obviously, you got the Chiefs, if Tyrod or, or you know, potentially Justin Hebert's the real deal with the, the Chargers, this could be a weekly shootout. But that defense, as you mentioned, could be enough to make this more of a ground-and-pound offense, too. So that is some interesting uh, interesting potential anchor to his value. But I don't, I don't know. I, I love I think it's like you, what you're saying, and that's kind of ultimately what we – fall in that trap of I want to root for him so bad that like I like to draft him just to have that excitement of like when he scores I'm just that much happier you know what I mean like it's it's so hard to separate that sometimes in fantasy and you gotta so he's one of the biggest risers he's not my favorite QB2 though of the offseason I actually love Teddy Bridgewater and he's so bland and boring at first look but ultimately, I love the new scheme he's going to be in. I love the fact that he has experience in it already, given Joe Brady was the man that was supposed to raise him. I love that Joe Brady's offense just lit up scoreboards in the at the college level. Do you think Teddy Bridgewater has any type of ceiling, or are you just like, eh, bland, like, not going to worry about him? No, I like it. I would say after, you know, kind of like that QB 16, 17 range, I think Bridgewater and Minshew are the two guys you want to mm. take a dart throw on because – Look, he is a absolutely massive upgrade over Kyle Allen in any metric. I mean, cannot state enough just how much of a bottom five quarterback Kyle <laughs> Allen was last year. The big knock on Teddy Bridgewater is he checks down a lot. I mean, so does Drew Brees. That was just the Saints offense. And it's not yeah. – a lot of teams check down. Brees has never been a top, like, 16 deep ball passer his entire career. Jimmy Garoppolo, like, was the most risk-averse quarterback last year. He still had big games. I mean, just because you don't throw down field all the time doesn't really – always matter for fantasy and now he's in a scheme where he doesn't even need to be that guy because right. you got McCaffrey, Curtis Samuel, DJ Moore, uh freaking Robbie Anderson. He can you know, I know he's more of a vertical field stretcher, but that's fine because now you got plenty of room for these guys underneath. Ian Thomas is really talented too. So low key super talented skill position players. Don't love the offensive line, but I think you know some of the things we're hearing with Joe Brady in the scheme might be able to you know be fun enough and quick hitting enough to get around it. The defense is awful. Kudos to them for using every single draft pick to try to fix it. But I'm not expecting a bunch of rookies to come in here and, you know, do anything more than take this. Maybe they'll be like below average in a best case scenario. So I think, again, we're going to see them playing in shootouts a lot. The NFC South has yeah. always been full of shootouts. And you're expecting that again this next year. And yeah, you can put it up. Teddy has not been this awful quarterback. I think maybe when he didn't play from like 2016 to 2018, it was like getting a little bit annoying just with all the media coverage every time he yeah. did anything. But no, I mean, the guy's always been an average to above average quarterback, and now he's in a pretty good system. I love him too. Yeah. The, the yards after the catch monsters you just highlighted, obviously McCaffrey, obviously DJ Moore, we all have seen that. But the one that I can't wait to see unlocked, and I know you're a huge fan, Curtis Samuel. I mean, he's been so misused, and that's why I love that Robbie Anderson is here because they do need that lid lifter. And I think. 
it, obviously he can stretch the field. He has the speed to, but he is so much deadlier when you can get it to him in space. And that's what this whole offense, you know, speed in space is exactly what Joe Brady said is his goal. There's very few that are as good in space with that type of speed as Curtis Samuel. I don't think we've seen it yet. And I think this could be the year that, that he finally unlocks it with that type of weaponry. I, I mean, I, I really like that in the shootout style games that you're projecting too. So to me, if, they, if there's going to be a late round guy that just explodes out of nowhere, it, it's going to be Bridgewater for me. I think, I think that's the one that, you know, I am making sure is my QB team uh, in every team. Last year, I wish it was Lamar. It wasn't. The year before, <laughs> it was Mahomes. So that was good. So I'm, I'm one for two so far, and I'm hoping to go two for three. I think Bridgewater is going to be that guy. Uh, the one other guy I'm seeing get a lot of love is Baker Mayfield, um, mostly because of that offensive line. It's pretty obvious that that's the huge way he's gained this year. I'm a little nervous of the offensive scheme coming in being a little too run heavy to, to just not create that type of ceiling I truly want out of my quarterback, but he still is an, a no-brainer riser. What's your opinions on, on Baker Mayfield this year? I'm kind of the thought that the Stefanski scheme was more Zimmer, Kubiak, mm-hmm directed than himself i mean just to be that run heavy i wouldn't quite expect that again because the strength of this team should be them passing i mean having beckham jarvis hunt chubb hooper i mean they leaned on those two rb sets last year i know now we gotta see what stefanski does but they got the guys to do two rb sets they got the guys to do two tight end sets and throw the joku in there i mean they didn't even add a number three receiver other than re-signing rashad higgins they drafted Donovan Peoples-Jones in the sixth round. So I think that indicates they're going to really play their strengths and do more, you know, just only two wide receiver sets and use the rest of their players. And it's good because, hey, they finally fixed their offensive line. That was the one issue going to last year that we just knew was a bright red flag. And, you know, Baker, I think we use too much hindsight. Like, we, we act like we just knew Baker wasn't going to be all that last season because of the way it turned out. When in reality, I mean, this dude splits with and without Freddie Kitchens as a rookie were – astronomically better once Kitchens took over he set the all-time rookie season passing touchdown record I mean we've seen him have a Mm -hmm. QB1 ceiling already last year was a disgrace but you know what we've seen quarterbacks have bad years and bounce back when they're early so right now Baker's not costing I mean yeah I want to take a late round dart on this guy because it's not costing much and you know his range of outcomes I think is a lot more similar to the guys like Breeze and Brady that are going five six players above them than Mm -hmm. people think yeah, the one thing I need to see with him is just physically, like, how does he look? Because it was pretty clear right from the start, like, he was pretty fat. <laughs> I mean, like, obviously, yeah. I, who am I to sit here and say is <laughs> I'm going to go shovel, like, two pizzas in my throat down <laughs> later tonight. But still, it's like, he just clearly had more dough on his face, and it looked like he just didn't take it seriously. I mean, he's saying all the right things so far this offseason that he let himself slip and that he, he's, you know, embarrassed and wants to get himself back to what he's always been. So if I see like a a baker that comes out, he looks lighter. He just looks like a more of a football player than we ever saw last year. I'll be all about it again. I just need to see him look fully healthy before I go back. But you're right. Like there, I I think I had him at QB two last year. Like it's so easy to forget how high we were all on until you you just look back at it. It's, there is some really serious upside here. Uh, that's all I have for in terms of the quarterbacks I thought took significant rises on the board. Do you think I'm missing anybody, or should we move into the fallers? Uh, yeah, I think we're ready. All righty. So who do, who do you consider, then, the biggest faller of the offseason among the quarterbacks? Uh, I mean, it's hard not to look at Aaron Rodgers and kind yeah. of what's been going on there. But to be honest, he hasn't exactly been killing it in recent seasons. I mean, we just mm-hmm. haven't seen him be a premier fantasy producer since 2016. He hasn't looked like 
the best quarterback ever, which he is by a lot of stats since yeah. 2014. I mean, just, you know, he hasn't been bad at all. He still takes over games from time to time. And, you know, he's putting up like top 12, top 15 numbers. But this is a guy who we just saw finish as the overall QB1, almost like clockwork, you know, every other mm-hmm. year or so for the good portion of the middle 2000s. So he was this is a team that was middle of the pack in almost all efficiency stats last season on offense and defense. Packers went 9-1 and one in one-score games last year. I just think as a team, they're going to regress. The only player I want on the Packers is Devontae Adams because there's a chance that his target total starts with a two when it's all said and done next year. So, mm. you know, Rodgers, this run game with A.J. Dillon there now, you know, who knows what Aaron Jones is going to do. I'll pass on all that, but give me Devontae Adams. That's it. <laughs> 200, I'm just picturing 200 targets and, like, foaming at the mouth now for Devontae oh Adams. God. But you're absolutely right. I mean, this guy was – only six games, a top 12 quarterback last year. So the final output, yeah, 20 per game looks okay. But he was under 15 like fifteen or less, like almost half, if not more than half the time. It was bad. It's such a run-heavy, unpredictable scheme. I want no part of Rodgers, especially the fact that they didn't give him any more weapons tells you they're continuing this run-heavy approach even more so this year. So I'm all about it. What do you think of Deshaun Watson? I mean, you have to take a big hit this offseason when you lose DeAndre Hopkins. There is a little bit of a lifeboat tossed in with Brandon Cooks being traded for. He's got some good deep speed. But ultimately, you know, how can you not be a downgrade? Do you think Watson's good enough anyways, just like it's not going to be that big of a hit? Or what happened to Watson in terms of your rankings after losing of Hopkins there? I think he's still in the QB1 kind of top five, six, if you want to make it seven tier I have him at five now. You know, before this, I probably would have still had him. You know, I think I would have been, I would have had him above Kyler for sure if he saw Hopkins. I think Hopkins kind of switched those two uh, right there. I think Dak would still be a QB three either way. But look, I mean, Watson's rushing upside is huge. And, you know, I keep talking about the rushing upside with these guys, but it really is crazy. And like Kyler, I mean, Watson is just already becoming one of the more productive dual threat QBs we've seen. And I mean, you look at the things that happen with Houston and it's, it's just one of these situations where if Watson plays 16 games, I just don't see a scenario where he's not going to be a fairly high-end QB1. This Texans defense was the worst defense in the league last year in New York's allowed per play. They're much better when J.J. Watt's out there, but, I mean, as we've seen, that's far from a given. <laughs> they just didn't do anything to help their defense out, so I don't think the defense is going to be any better. And, yes, we got rid of DeAndre Hopkins, but – now we kind of have this weird, like, four wide receivers that all kind of have speed and can do some fun things between Cooks, Fuller, Kenny Stills still there. I mean, even Randall Cobb looked all right last year. So if David Johnson can look like he did pre-injury, I mean, look, it's a lot of ifs. I'm not saying Texans are going to be good, but if Watson's healthy, there's enough guys there for him to put up numbers and everything. I understand if you want to slide him down kind of in that QB1 tier, but I think anyone that kind of has him outside that top six, top seven at the absolute latest – probably thinking a little too far into it because this is a guy we've seen just take over games. I know his splits fell off with Will Fuller, and that's concerning, but I do think that's more of the field-stretching principle. I mean, I I don't disagree with what you said about how Hopkins, he can stretch the field, but like last year, his average target depth was so much lower than usual. I think they were pigeonholing him as an underneath guy, so I'm cautiously optimistic Watson's still going to be just fine from a fantasy perspective. You, you emphasized all that speed they have, and you look at pro football focuses, deep passing. I mean, Watson slings 
maybe the best, one of the best yeah. deep balls in the league. First in adjusted deep ball compl- uh, completion percentage at 54.1%, which is an, an insane Ooh. completion percentage. Fifth in deep yardage and second in deep TDs with 11 of them. And now, you know, 4-3-2, 4-3-3, Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks, 4-3-8 with Kenny Stills. And, and you mentioned Randall Cobb, 4-4-6. I mean, not in his prime anymore, but still could blaze it and still, you know, probably can. I, I, there is a lot of upside. And what if they're, you know, it seems strange that they're getting all these very similar skill sets. But ultimately, what if that means they're just going to put like four wide and just kind of just go crazy and play some backyard ball? You never know. It's a new play caller and Tim Kelly. Who knows what they could be lining up there. So there is, I, I want to just keep stressing so much upside. It's like, you know, we all try to find that guy because we have to have followers. It's a stock market and you have to have somebody here. Of course, losing Hopkins is not going to help, but there's still definitely these layers of, of upside that are always going to exist just because of the running alone, never mind all these speedy weapons. My one worry was if he lost, you know, Hopkins and then Fuller's his top guy and then Fuller has his usual hamstring pull and suddenly yeah. you don't have any type of reliable number one. But with Cooks there, I just, I think there's enough of a lifeboat that, Hop, uh, you know, Watson could definitely get this done on his own. Were there any other quarterbacks you saw that, it, those are the only two that I really have as like clear cut fallers. Is there anybody else in your opinion that took a dive this off season that I'm missing? Uh, it was concerning to see, just real quick, concerned to see the Rams not do anything to help that yeah. O-line or really give Jared Goff much help. I mean, you know, they were still the, like the 11th highest ranked scoring offense uh, last year. So it'll be interesting to see if they can do that again. Uh, not a faller. I think more of a riser, just because I've looked into him more, but Joe Burrow, I think, could be a <laughs> sneaky, solid QB2 yeah. as early as this year. I mean, I never thought of him as having anything close to a rushing floor just because he, oh, he looks downfield, as he should. You're a quarterback because the only rookie QB1 since 2010 have been Cam, Andrew Luck, RG3, Dak, Russell Wilson, and Kyler. All those guys averaged at least 25 rushing yards per game in college, and Joe Burrow at LSU was sitting there pretty at 27. Yeah. Only Jalen Hurts averaged more rushing yards per game among these uh, big quarterbacks. So he's going to be starting 16 games. We know that for sure. Now Dalton's gone. I think we kind of knew it before. But sneaky, talented receiving core, A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, John Ross, T. Higgins, my boy, Auden Tate. We got Joe Mixon in a decent run game. The O-line sucks, but we're getting Jonah Williams back who was hurt last year. There's a scenario of Joe Burrow, who I, I think people are a little worried that, you know, he just was so incredible last, last year. How can he just keep doing that when he wasn't all that until last season? Well, he was all that last season. If he, if he somehow plays like the guy just put together the single best collegiate season we've ever seen from the quarterback position, if he plays even like 90% of that guy, he can ball out next year and he's still going, you know, outside the top kind of 16, 17 QBs. So he's another guy late, you know, put him up there with – he's a little more expensive than uh, Gardner and Teddy. But I think among these late-round guys, I mean, there's just more of a ceiling with Burrow than, you know, Roethlisberger or Cousins or one of these dudes. Absolutely. Uh, the fact that he played and exploded, as you just said, the best college season we've ever seen within Joe Brady's offense that is very much a pro-style offense when we finally got to see him in that system. Now he's obviously coming into a pro offense. That That's a huge tell for me that I, I love this guy. I think he's absolutely going to translate. And if it's as immediate as you project, I mean, it could. the weapons are very solid there. I, I hope and I do think Taylor, uh, their, their head coach, 
is much better than we got to see last year. He just didn't have all that much to work with when, you know, Tyler Boyd's your top weapon and, and Andy Dalton's your quarterback. There just wasn't a whole ton. But then especially when you get Jonah Williams back, their first rounder from last year, the line gets a, a nice little injection there. I, I think Burrow, I, I'm with you. There, there is some serious upside. Now, I mean, we've said that about like 12 to 15 guys now. So that <laughs> just goes to show the position. Like it, it's not like we're just being hype guys. It's such a deep position. So I'm fully with you. I'm still all about board the weight on QB I mean yeah you get that huge edge if you get a Mahomes or you get a Lamar but the opportunity cost of the running backs that are there the receivers that are there to me you gotta you know I like that sweet spot you've talked about those like six eight six through seven or eight guys that could reach those ceilings but even then I I don't know I'm probably just going to be waiting on the position do you have like a overall strategy obviously you don't lock anything in you just see how a draft unfolds but like how do you see yourself kind of attacking this position this year just going through best ball drafts so far, it's it's been one of these things where I've more often than not just been waiting because yeah. I'm scooping up. I want high-volume running backs early this year because it looks mm-hmm. really, really bleak after the fourth or fifth round if you haven't found a way to get a couple of those guys. So yeah. between that and there's just so many good wide receivers and tight ends, I, I'm usually going more late-round QB than ever this year. And Again, it's a little bit annoying that we don't have the Lamar or the you know Kyler, just the – the clear cut, or, I mean, sorry, Lamar, the Mahomes, who were each going outside the top 10 QBs before these last two incredible seasons. But yeah. there's enough guys that we've talked about, just all these dudes with upsides that, you know, I don't mind throwing two darts out there later and hoping one of them can give me QB1 value. So. Absolutely. I'm, I'm tacking it the same way. So, Ian, this was a blast, as it always is, talking ball with you. I'm thrilled that you're willing to come on again next week and, and break down some backfields and some pass catchers as well. They'll be on the receiving end of a lot of these quarterbacks we just talked about. Do you mind just reminding our listeners real quick where they can find you and, and what type of work they, they can find uh, from you? Yeah, man. Catch me on Twitter at iHeartitz, I-H-A-R-T-I-T-Z. have articles going up pretty much. Every day during this offseason, Roto World Football Podcast as well. Thanks for having me on, dude. This was fun. Yeah, we'll be talking uh, RBs next week. Absolutely. Thanks again, Ian, and thank you, listeners. Enjoy the rest of your day, big guy. We used to have it all, but now's our curtain call. So hold for the applause. Oh, oh, oh. And wave out to the crowd and take our final bow. Oh, it's our time to go. But at least we stole the show 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 Old-fashioned football right there, folks.